Thank you for joining us for another episode of Youth Sports Today. My guest Darren Gallagher and I discuss a recent article in the New York Times, some struggles of being a recreational youth sports coach, what we as league directors can do better, we offer some tips for running a successful practice session, we try and predict some of the possible outcomes from the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm your host, Matt Stilmasek. Happy to be here with you and excited to get through this. Hey, so I know before uh, before we got going, I, I told you about this article that I actually just saw posted in one of these uh, Facebook groups. So this article in the New York Times, so by Dr. Jennifer Etnier, I, I hope I'm saying that right. So it was published uh, 11 March, the title of it, I think you like this. Your youth sports coach is probably doing it wrong. So that that's the name of the article. Uh, I wrote a, a couple things down that just highlights that I, this is stuff that we've talked about for so long, right? So one of the things from the article, more than 45 million children are engaged in youth sports, but an estimated 70% will drop out by the time they're age 13. So I feel like we've heard that statistic for decades. Early 2000s. Yeah early 2000s those statistics you know were there um we saw like a big boom in 1999 after the women's uh world cup championship uh the at the rose bowl in pasadena so yeah since then we've been doing really great studies especially on the soccer side and yeah the numbers are pretty accurate of kids dropping out by the time they're 12 and then most recently i've seen um even another you know stat that basically shows that kids are there's another wave of kids dropping out at 14 15 which is very high so it was one thing when they were 12 when it maybe went from recreational to more competitive for middle school reasons or for high school reasons but now we've even seen another kind of jump um and we don't know if that has to do with the age group uh you know change the age change by birth year as opposed to school year we don't know if that has to do with more competitiveness at the high school level, but less clubs might be offering less recreational options past sixth grade. So it's really an interesting kind of development and a sad one. So when, when I feel like when I was growing up, most of the recreational stuff was through the city. And now I feel like it's been pushed onto the clubs, right? So if it's your lacrosse club, your basketball club, whatever, they have their own recreational league in conjunction with their competitive stuff. And I always remember playing like different towns and that I played for my town and we played different towns before I got into the competitive club stuff. Is that how it was in Wisconsin where you grew up? 100%. Yeah, 100%. And, um, you know, I, I remember I was a decent baseball player in high school um, and I pitched and I, I remember my buddy, um, he was a senior in high school and he was like, hey, do you want to come play for my Vernon Township? baseball team and I was like what are you talking about he's like I, I play rec you know baseball and he was a senior in high school he's like we, we can't have you pitch because we'll get in trouble they'll know you're too good <laughs> but can you just come and play can you just come and play right field can you come and play second base um, and I went and played you know a, a couple games with him when they were short people and it was a blast but I was also shocked that like people actually showed up like there was there were some of these you know players that it was tough to get them to the first hour of high school class. So, you know, for them to show up on a Sunday yeah. and play recreational baseball um, was interesting to me, even as a senior in high school, like I was like, wow, this is really special. And now they had less teams, but, um, and also we both worked at Cutter Soccer Club in Bloomington, Indiana. 
and they, I believe, had rec all the way, recreational soccer options all the way up to U16. Yeah. And they just called it like, you know, a seniors division or a high school division. And they would sometimes couple eighth graders in with that because they were bigger, stronger. But yeah, I think that's a, a, you know, very normal thing. But then I also think that clubs saw the dollar sign that's attached to each player. Um, of course, there's, you know, a cost that comes to that for the clubs. But the, it's such a, you know, small amount of money to invest into recreation yeah. and then you get the payback and you can do bigger things for your elite players. Yeah. Yeah. It's just different, <clears throat> different time for, for rec sports. All right. So here's two other things I got from this article that I, that I highlighted. So the national council yeah. for accreditation of coaching education reports that in the United States, approximately 4 million out of these 7.5 million youth and school coaches are volunteers. Fewer than 5% of youth sports coaches have relevant training. Among middle and high school coaches, only 25 to 30% do. I thought 4 million out of 7.5, I thought that was low. I feel like the majority of our coaches are volunteers. I mean, it's expensive to go through the certification. I mean, that's, that's our current climate. The same thing what I just talked about with money to, to make money, you, you know, if you have the certification on the coaching side, you know, you can jump the ranks a little bit and, and be in charge of more. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, we depend on volunteers. We depend on parents. We, you know, even some of our coaches for our travel side, are truly volunteers. They might not even be a parent. They just might be somebody in the community who wants to give back. Um, I mean, I look at the coaches that I had growing up. I was really lucky, you know, that I had people who cared, you know, about us and wanted us to have that opportunity to play. Um, but I think my highest coaching license coach was a C license. And that was a big deal. And that was in Wisconsin, just outside of Milwaukee. So it's not like we were completely in the cornfields, but you know, it's interesting, you know, in 2001, you know, to that point, that was my highest, you know, level coach, you know, coach certification of somebody who coached me. So I know that all my baseball, basketball coaches track, they did not have any certification of any kind. Do you think, you think 4 million out of 7.5 are volunteers? So you think it's on point? Uh, I, I think it might be higher. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, yeah. it might, you said it was low. I, I think it's more. Um, All right. So the other, the other one fewer. I think the term, I think the term, I think the term, I think the term volunteer, maybe they're, they're basing that off of, do they get paid? Yeah. Because there, there are parent coaches that do get paid, but I mean, after you calculate, I mean, we're independent contractors for the most part, after you calculate, you know, taxes and gas mileage and all those things, I mean, they're, they're volunteering. All right. So, so if we qualified it as aren't professional, professional meaning this is your, main source of income. I think that number has got to be twice, twice that. Yeah. Yeah. So are yeah. fewer than 5% of the youth sports coaches have relevant training. You think that, that, does that sound accurate? Again, it's probably terminology. I mean, relevant. I mean, if you've played the game, um, does that count as training? Like, I mean, my, my dad didn't touch a soccer ball, didn't know what a soccer ball was, you know, but if, if my brother and I wanted to play it, he would have stepped up and, and coached us. He didn't have to. Um, but, you know, so what, what, it, what does training mean? Um, and in, in soccer in this country, I think that's really loose. And then I think in other sports, you know, we always talk about, you know, the, 
the baseball, you know, dad or the basketball mom and dad, you know, it's like, well, I, I did play in middle school, you know, and, yeah. and they get forced into those, those situations where they have to, to coach, you know, uh, intro level competitive team at U11. So, so again, uh, um, trained as far as licensure and, and that, I, I, I would probably say it's probably under 5%. So this, this kind of goes along with, with that one. So, uh, later in the article, it says, in my experience, most youth sports organizations and schools offer little in the way of education, feedback, coaching evaluations, mentoring, and resources to their coaches. And only ubiquitous requirement is the completion of a criminal background check. Again, this is from the article, the New York Times article by Dr. Jennifer uh, Etner. Uh, Your youth sports coach is probably doing it wrong. And I, got, I think she's spot on with this. Uh, I, I don't think we offer any of those things other than a background check. And I think it's because most of those people, at least from my experience, as that director, the only way you can do that job is if you're also coaching teams. And so you get pulled away because you don't have the time. Like, oh, man, I'd, I'd love to offer more coaching education and feedback and coaching evaluations. But you, you literally don't have yeah, enough time. I mean- yeah, it's even if you're not coaching, you know, more than one team yourself, um, you get pulled in so many directions. And I would use the example of you're in a classroom and you're teaching reading to third graders. Um, you know, there's going to be two out of 20 that are going to struggle potentially. And you're going to spend more time with those two trying to catch them up to speed in your group. Um, you, for the most part, don't have all your coaches in one location training at the same time. If I had that, I could bounce around. I could just move 20 yards to the next field and help the next coach, um, which we've seen that format before at some like academy levels. Again, you're using that reference from Cutter's Soccer Club. We were all in one park. All the U6s were going at one time. All the U8s came in the next hour. All the U10s, third hour. So that's possible. Um, but that still doesn't completely control when they're in their neighborhood parks and this group is on one side of town and they start practice at 530 and this group starts at 545 on the opposite side of town. So there's only so much control that you have as a director. And then I think the last part is, again, you're asking these people to volunteer potentially, or you're paying them very minimal, um, as far as, you know, for their help. And now you're going to tell them how they have to coach when they have to coach. So now you're taking the autonomy away from them. And that's one of the reasons why I got into teaching as an educator with my background in coaching was that I wanted to have some of that autonomy and creativity to do it my way. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. So last thing from the article before we, yeah, real quick, just, you know, some coaches want as much information as they can get. For, for the rest of us, you know, it's already scary to try and go out there and jump out of your comfort zone. So if, if, if a coach, you know, doesn't accept your first offer on it and doesn't come to you, then I think it's really difficult for you to give critical or constructive feedback to that volunteer coach or to that mom and dad coach. And that's, that's a really fine line. I think that some of the toughest parties when, um, when you get some complaints because of your, your coaches who have a lack of knowledge or lack of experience, like it's not easy for anyone just to go out there and run a session with, 
a bunch of kids who you don't know on a sport that you're semi-familiar with. You played in high school. It's been 10 years. And I think some of the expectations of the parents is that this is going to be professional level coaching. Well, don't you think that's from the clubs? Like we just talked about, it's not the city. It's not your townships, it, you know, recreational program. Like that's the club selling that. That's the tagline. So-and-so soccer club, professional club. You know, we have all these resources. We have all these facilities. Well, like, like we've created our own problem kind of because we're, we're selling this product to you saying we're better than everybody else. But when you come over here, it's, I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's recreational sports. Yeah. And there's much, not much difference from the other side of town's program. That's fine. Maybe pricing. It's <laughs> a fair point. It's a fair point. All right. So last thing from the article before I have some questions for you. So some coaches treat their practices like military drills, demanding that their athletes pay strict attention and work hard for every minute of every practice. They discourage joking around and expect kids to behave like adults. 2014 review published in the International Journal of Sports, Science, and Coaching summarized studies showing that children who drop out of sports often report that their coaches are controlling and autocratic. The thing that jumped out to me about this is that that the coaches discourage joking around and expect kids to behave like adults and that they pay strict attention. And so I, I think when we, when we have our volunteer coaches come from, and I think this is just because it's, we use it as a common example because it's pretty typical. Hey, I played in high school. I'm familiar with the sport. I can go ahead and, and volunteer coach because no one else has stepped forward. And that's how your high school practices were run. And I think this issue falls more on the administrator than the coach to say, hey, here's how you run a good session. I'm not telling you you have to do X, Y, and Z, but here are the things you have to keep in mind. I think this one, for the most part, falls on directors like you and I not doing their job. No, 100%, I agree. And um, you mentioned it earlier. Just think about the stress level for an adult. Like you said, I haven't coached or I haven't played for 10 years, and now you just gave me 12 random kids. I know two of them, one of them being my own kid. And now I have to coordinate a session. I just came from work. I had to do carpool as well. Whatever else, my boss was texting me, you know, five minutes before I stepped onto the field. Another parent came to me and was asking about, you know, the snack schedule for Saturday's game. And now I have to run a session and the kids are running around kicking at it, kicking the ball at each other or hanging on the goal. And so that added pressure of, oh, by the way, not only are people watching me, potentially, we, we realize that obviously not as many people are watching as closely as we think. But then secondly, the added pressure of, um, oh, what if Billy falls and, and gets hurt? You know, what if he breaks his arm? You know, how do I explain that? Not only to somebody at the club, but how do I explain that to his parents? You know, well, I didn't have eyes on them. They were goofing around. So I think it's a really fine line to, from, from the adult's perspective. So like you said, we have to give them tools to be successful in that environment. Um, the thing that sticks out to me from the article is the, you know, the autocratic, you know, comment, uh, the militaristic, however you want to, you want to mm -hmm. define that because I would say kids at 12 years old in general would say that of all adults. So I, I, I feel like it's slightly skewed. Um, and typically when we hear that, that, stat, that statistic of, you know, X amount of percentage of kids have quit by 12 or 14 or 15, usually the top three are 
things. I don't like the sport anymore. I'm not having fun and my friends aren't involved. So I'm not saying that that is a big deal that the coaches are autocratic or, you know, or tough on them or anything like that. Um, I just think that's what kids think of every adult, but I could be way off. I don't know what your thoughts are. Here's, here was my, my goal because I do want to talk about those things, but um, my goal was so to talk about those things, but now to get into how can we help those coaches, right? So I, I think all these things are a shame that we don't, we don't provide the training for them, that we don't give them the tools and that, uh, that they, I think it's tough for, for a new coach to know how to make things fun. Before I had a lot of experience coaching under my belt, I felt like you either had fun practice or you had a serious practice where you were like really into the technical weeds or it was, hey, this is kind of just a throwaway practice. This is going to be fun. And it took me a long time to realize that you can do both. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of work. It takes planning, and it takes it, it takes knowing your skill set, right? So, like you and I can run the same session, but you're better at it because you know the ins and outs of that session, or you know the ins and outs of those activities. Where I have activities that I know I can run really well, but they may not work for another coach. So, fine tuning your own skills to be able to make something fun and useful, it takes years. And we're critical of these rec coaches because they can't do it in a matter of minutes when they were, they couldn't change their clothes quick enough from work to get to the field. And we're going to be critical of them that it's not fun and technically like savvy. Yeah. It's, it's harsh. Um, Again, going, you know, back to different, you know, realms. I mean, if you walked into a PE class, you would see similar things that you see potentially on a recreational field. And that is not what as adults we're used to seeing. So, you know, again, a little bit organized chaos. Um, you know, it's louder. Um, there's more variables that go into what you're trying to accomplish. Um, as opposed to everyone sitting at their desk and everyone's got their book open to page three and they're reading along um, or they're following, you know, a PowerPoint or whatever, whatever it might be. So I think just in general, like your, your expectation from adults looking at other adults is really harsh. Yeah. All right. So, and now, and now kids and now kids are, kids are caught up in that, right? Like the kid just sees the soccer ball in the field and the goal like you've seen it, Matt, like the kids who come out of the car sprinting to the field, kicking the ball wildly. They're so excited. Like, I mean, they're like a puppy let out at the dog park. I mean, they're, they're so excited to be there. And so to contain that, like you said, takes a skill set. It takes somebody who, who has an idea of, Hey, this is what kids want. But at the same time, I have to accomplish this goal of coaching them something. All right. So I'm, I'm a new coach. I'm coaching my daughter's team, got roped into it. I played in high school. Darren, I'm, I'm coming to you because you're a parent on the sidelines who I, res- who I respect. And I want to know, what should I do at practice? What advice do you have for me? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I, I always say you know, to my coaches, and this could even go to <laughs> U15s, right? I mean, this isn't limited to U9 recreational or boys or girls or elite versus non-elite. This was just kids have to be active. 
Um, I, I believe in sport. I have a you know kinesiology background, um, educational leadership background for my master's, and everything that I studied, you know, leading up to that. That was the early 2000s. Obviously, the studies were from the 90s. You know, it was basically saying like activity is is the first you know hurdle to get over. If kids are active, then they can have the other pieces, which are learning, and they can have fun. Um, obviously, being a PE teacher. You know, with that background, I think fun is the next part. Can you make something not a drill? Can you make it an activity? Um, can you make it a game? Can you keep score? Can you give individual points? Um, whatever it might be that in intrinsically or extrinsically motivates a person, a child. Um, and then I think the last piece is when they walk away from those activities, being active and having fun, what did they learn? Um, so it's one thing like I could play tag games, right? I can have these tag games that get kids 2,000 steps in a 22-minute class, right? We could do line tag in a gymnasium. It's fun. They're active. But did they learn anything? I'm not sure. So is, the, is I hit two out of the three. That doesn't make me horrible. But I want to make sure that they learn something. So now let's take it to soccer. Again, instead of having lines or lectures and making kids stand around and listen to me, again, going, feeding back to that comment about autocratic, you know, can I accomplish the same thing with every kid having a soccer ball? And if it can't be every kid having a soccer ball because it's too chaotic, can it be one soccer ball to every two kids? And now all of a sudden the game is enjoyable, practice ends, and you hear the comments, what, it's over already? Or kids are like, no, 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 can we play for five more minutes? And now you have that immediate feedback that they were active and they were having so much fun to the point that they didn't even realize that the time had elapsed. And so then I think that's your, your part as the coach. Now, how do you add in learning? So, you know, for that example, I bring the kids in at the end and I say, hey, what did we work on today? What did you guys take away from practice? What did you learn? What was something new? And now you hear from them, you know, well, I had fun. I did this, you know, we like this. And now maybe you have to think about the next time you run that session, the next time you have practice, can you let them know we're working on dribbling? We're working on individual turns or we're working on foot skills, fast feet. Um, and so that kind of is ingrained throughout the whole lesson so that they are having fun and they are active, but they're also like, there's a, uh, you know, something that we're trying to accomplish, a goal that we're trying to accomplish within practice. Oh, I love it. So the three things I wrote down, because I, I knew I was going to ask you that question, three things I had. Number one, get as close to one ball per player as possible. So total agreement. Uh, I think that's so important. And just for me, for the last year, working in other sports, so working in football, basketball, uh, if you just follow those principles, so those kids are getting reps, it doesn't matter what sport. It's relevant across all sports. Just you don't want kids standing around on the sidelines, right? The practice is boring. That's when they start goofing off. The other two I had were to learn the kids' names as quickly as possible. Uh, I think it makes a huge impact because, one, you're not yelling at the kids, hey, hey, in the, in the glasses, in the red shirt, right? Immediately you can start to bond with those kids, and it's so important that they feel special, that they know that Coach Darren knows my name, that Coach Darren took the time to learn it right away. Uh, I think it's one of the – one of the things we just don't do enough, or as quickly as we should. Maybe that's a better way to put it. And the last one I had was make, make it fun. Yeah. And, and really, 
Yeah, and, and the funny thing is, none yeah, so of those pretty, things. We're pretty are on We didn't talk about technique at all. We didn't say, "Hey, oh, here's how you dribble a soccer ball. Here's how you shoot a basketball. Here's here's how you throw a football." Well, that's because that's that's because we're we're adults, though, and so that's why I said we have to look at it from the kids' point of view of how to reach them. Um, all the things, logistics. That's kind of what I had in my notes as you know what's next. I would say now it's the logistics of your session number of kids, the age, the field size, what kind of equipment do you have? Like then those things go into what am I actually going to do and how do I accomplish it? Um, and I just said, you know, written down just a few things, but basically, um, you know, come up, come in with a plan as the coach, but have a backup plan. Don't be afraid to scrap something. Don't be afraid to adapt. Um, and, and again, this is hard, right? Because you just came from your eight to five job and you have order and you have structure and now you show up for this hour practice and you have everything planned out and then it doesn't go the way you think it's going to go, whether that's weather related, that's out of your control. Only four kids show up at practice. Um, 12 kids do show up at practice, but four of them had a sleepover the night before or came from a school function where they're just exactly, you know, exhausted. I mean, I even coach, you know, 18 and 17 year old boys who, who drive themselves. They show up late because they went to the wrong field or whatever, or they, they even show up for a practice and they say, I haven't eaten since lunch at school. And it's like, these are things that are out of your control. So don't worry about those, those parts of it, you know, do what you can do and control that environment so that the kids are having so much fun that they didn't even know that they learned something at soccer and they did, you know, I mean, I think that's, we talked about that. I think the concept um, from, from studies and in, in theories was like the flow concept that a kid, it's almost like being in the zone, like Michael Jordan, when he's just, you know, hitting every shot. It's like, can you be in the flow? So where the kids are having so much fun they didn't even know that they were at soccer practice. That's like the only thing you want to hear as a coach at the end of practice. Exactly. Or, or hey, coach, how much time's left? That, that, that might as well just be you got an F for the day as the coach. <laughs> uh, how much time's left? All right, so I just want to throw some questions at you. So I, I'm just, uh, just quick. All right, okay. shoot. I'm a coach. I come up to you, Coach Darren. I ran a session the other day for the past week. The kid, Johnny on my team, he's way above where he should be. Like, I'm just worried I'm not helping him. I can't – I don't really know what I'm doing. I, I, I don't think I'm – like, I'm, I'm doing Johnny a disservice. How do I, how do I help that coach? Yeah. But, well, yeah, what do, you, what do you tell me? What do you say? Uh, find other ways within, you know, practice, to, you know, to, to have him help the rest of the group. Again, it's going back to that teacher mentality. Hey, can you, you know, show us the demo? Hey, Johnny, can you demo this for us? Um, you know, can you get him to work with a player uh, that's at the low end of the spectrum as far as the skill side of it? Can you have him work with the medium yeah, player? Yeah, but, but I'm worried. I'm worried he's going to get worse because he's on my team. Yeah, exactly. So you're putting more demands on him than you would put another kid of like helping other kids, teaching other kids, demoing in front of the group. Um, you know, again, can you set a goal for him. So if we're working on juggling and all the kids are around eight to 12 juggles, um, which might be a lot, you know, for, for those kids, can you push a limit for him that is really high at 25 and say, Hey, you got the 25 this week. I expect you to, to be at 50 soon. And this is how you do it. And can you give him homework when he leaves practice so that he comes back? So it's not just around that one hour. Um, 
because at the end of the day, we've seen kids, you know, whether it's Ethan Finley who plays for Minnesota United, uh, grew up in Marshfield, Wisconsin, or Rose Lavelle who grew up around Cincinnati. You know, we've seen all those kids start at the YMCA or the town recreation, you know, and they didn't, they weren't hurt by it. And they found a way, you know, to get better within those environments that eventually led them to getting higher into elite clubs and high school play and college. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't believe, like, I, I don't like to hear parents and or coaches say a kid's getting worse by being on this team or being at this level. Um, we've seen kids that always are parents, you know, that come to us and ask us, you know, to play up. And I think that's a, a partial solution, but I don't think that involves their specific coach. Uh, I would say, Hey, like maybe once a week, we can send them to a practice of a group, you know, that's uh, an age group above. Um, but I think that's a slippery slope because you can have, it's like any parent can say their kid isn't getting enough out of practice. Um, yeah. I mean, how many kid, how many, how many times do you have the kid at the bottom parent come to you and say, my kid is way behind and they're not getting anything out of this. If anything, that parent fights it when their kid gets pushed down a level and doesn't go up with the rest of the kids. And they say, oh, like he's going to be left behind and he benefits from being around all those good players. So it's interesting that we never have that pinned to us. So, or, you know, again, you're using a coaching example, I know, but I think it's interesting. It is. So just kind of off topic, but since you mentioned playing up, I stopped all kids playing up when I got here. Smart. I just said, we're not doing it anymore because, oh, this kid plays up and this kid plays up and, and my son's, he's been playing up for the last, you know, four sports. I said, well, uh, how about this? We start everyone where they should be and then we take it case by case. Yeah. Since then, even those who, who have asked, I said, okay, we'll start him in his age group and then we'll see where he's at. Two weeks in, not an issue anymore. Hey, yeah, it looks like he's a little better than the rest of the kids. Oh, yeah, but you know what? He really likes his team. He, his, his friends are on this team. And uh, it, I don't. Know, I, I think when you start moving kids around, you create more of the lopsided stuff you're trying to avoid. Yeah, yeah. So, not to say that we shouldn't do it, right? There are cases where we absolutely should have players playing up because, for whatever reason, right? That like they're just far above the rest of their peers. No, I think I... it's very much the exception, not the rule. And we make that. We think we make that. A, we think we see that exception too often. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and again, it can change, right? Like what is that going to say to that poor kid when he's playing up and he gets pulled back a year later and another kid from his age group gets bumped up. I mean, you're basically pitting kids against each other. And again, this isn't a recreational, this isn't a recreational example. I mean, what, what are you telling those kids? And so it's the same, it's the same thing we talked about, you know, the, the kid on the lowest side of the skill, spectrum for your team versus the kid at the top like who's who's to say you know that that kid now is left even further behind because the top two kids moved up in age group so it's an interesting it's an interesting debate the only thing i would say and you and i had this personal discussion is that again if it's logistically harming a kid from playing i would probably try to help a kid from playing to play up if it meant they had to come with their brother and sister to practice and stuff like that. And I know you're, you're on the other side of that argument, but logistically, like if it was real, if it was real, like this family drove 45 minutes one way for U10 recreation practice, 
and they're not sticking around for another hour because of they have to drive back and they have to eat dinner. Like I'm just saying I'm different now that I have a two year old that I would probably try to work with them. And if other parents came at me hot, other parents came at me hot and they'd tell me this, this, and this, I'd be like, yep, that's fine. I'll take the heat. But if it kept a kid from playing, that would be like, if they had a, you know, sit there and watch their sibling practice and then their parents are like, no, we have to get in the car and drive home. You can't stay for your practice. That'd be pretty harsh. I don't think we've had that conversation in a few years. And I think, uh, I think I might've changed sides on that one. That's all right. I'm, it changed for me. It changed for me. I mean, I don't know if this is one of your questions, but I mean, being a parent has changed me as a coach. And so for 15 years of coaching, I had parents go, do you have kids? And I said, no. And they said, well, then you don't know. And I would fight them. And I would say, I'm an educator. I'm passionate about this. This is my career. This is my profession. I try all the things to convince them. They'd be like, you just don't get it. And now I kind of do. All right. I don't have kids. Tell me, what don't I get? I think it's just the view that you come in with that you're trying to do everything for your kid. And we definitely, we definitely see things different as far as like safety and development. And, you know, that might be why people are more critical of these volunteer coaches. I mean, you, you know, from our former conversations that I said, I don't want to coach my kid. I, I want nothing to do with it. I've, I've seen some of the best players of other sports um, that were on my team, that their parents were the coach, the volunteer coach that I talked about, and they get treated the worst. They get the worst end of it. And then the worst part is they have to jump in the car and go home with their coach. And their coach is the one telling them what chores to do when they get home or whatever, right? Or when their bedtime is, or they're not practicing enough. So like, I don't want to be the coach. And yet now I'm looking at it from the other point of view. Now it's my kid and I want them to be safe. And I want them to get the best opportunity and to enjoy it. And I know, oh, this is my background. I'm good at, well, I think I'm good at coaching. So I'm going to probably coach my kid. I'm probably going to coach my nephew. I'm probably going to, you know, coach their U6 team whenever they start that. And that's not what I want. But it just changes. My, my thought process changed completely having a kid. Hence why I'm down here in my basement at 7 a.m., you know, so I don't wake her up. That's maybe a little shit. That's not, a, I mean, yeah, no, I agree. Your yeah. perspectives are all the same. It's not, it's not a drastic, oh, I thought one way and I don't think that way anymore. Like, you're still approaching it the same. If, if, if anything, if anything, it gave credibility to my theory that parents have an agenda when they come and talk to you. <laughs> okay. okay. Honest, honestly, I mean, every parent's agenda is what's best for their kid or family. Right. Like, so yeah, like, yeah, they're, fam they're family. Hey, I want my kids to practice at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. 100%. 100%. And it's not, and I can't even fault them for it. Like, I, I would, I would have a really tough time with that five years ago dealing with that parent. Um, and and I, I, I don't know if you want to use this for, for this podcast, but I mean, I had a parent when I was at a junior Irish soccer club. I was in the middle of a session. I got thrown into it last second. I wasn't even the director at this point. I was just trying to like make my way into the club. And the director of coaching was like, hey, can you run this session for U9 and U10 boys? So yeah, no problem. He's like, it's a top group. You're going to have fun with them. And I show up to the field and there's 59 and 10-year-olds. And I'm like, oh my gosh. 50? 50. I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I just, what I call the Pie Piper, I just get in the middle with a ball and I'm just doing toe taps and pendulums and fast footwork. And I've got all these kids on a ball and they're all working hard. 
And all of a sudden I just feel something next to me and it's a dad. And he's like right next to my face and I'm active. I'm, I'm like on top of the ball and I stop and I go, boys, take a drink. And I, I go, yeah, can I help you, sir? And he goes, I have to talk to you. And I look around and I'm in this field with all these 50, 59 year olds. And even the boys are looking at him like he's crazy. And I'm like, I'm running a sec. I'm running a session right now. His, his two kids were in the session. He goes, I have to, t- I have to talk to you now. I have to talk to you now. I was like, Hey, let's talk after blah, blah, blah. Like it was so hard to get through to him that like I was in the middle of his son's practice and he couldn't have this conversation with me. And it wasn't like two minutes into the session. Like it's 10 minutes into the session. And, uh, the funny part of the story and I'll accelerate it is we end up, I tell him, let's have coffee. We meet and have coffee. We have a great conversation. I convince him to coach with me. I convince him to be a coach within junior Irish. And to this day, I'm friends with him on Facebook. He went and got a license. He is, um, I think, helping out with the semi-pro team that just, you know, came to whatever USL2 or USL1 or whatever it is to South Bend, the Lions. You know, he's very involved with the game, you know, but before he was just that parent who was in his car steaming over something that he saw me doing or not doing. And, And it just shows that, I mean, he was a very educated person, very normal um and yeah whatever clicked and that day and he got upset and he he somehow weaved his way through 40 kids 50 kids all doing ball work to come have a conversation with me and thought that was appropriate and you know when we had coffee he was like i'm so sorry like i don't know what got into me and then you know so that's just a really interesting like out-of-body experience right i'm not saying that he did have one because i'm not him but it almost feels like he 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 went dark and he just came straight at me and and I, I would have loved and, to have done that, that, to see that. that was, and, just like 50, honestly, kid, 50 kids around and just like, I, we need to talk. Yeah. And, and the kids, that's when I knew, I knew something was up. The kids were like looking at him like, oh my gosh, what is this dad doing? I'm, I'm sure his kids are petrified. His kids are great kids. I'm sure his kids were petrified. But it, like I use the examples all the time, right? Like imagine a parent doing that to a classroom teacher. They'd be, maybe the police would be called. They'd be thrown out. But we think it's okay in a sports setting. We think it's okay to follow. I mean, there's nothing, nothing in between you and the parents sitting on the sideline. Yeah, we they just we think we think it's okay to follow a coach to their car, complaining or talking. You know, after a game, you never would be there following a teacher from from the classroom to the parking lot. It would just those those things wouldn't happen. Yeah, I've never thought of it that way. It's interesting, interesting perspective. Sorry for going off tangent. All right, one more one more question for you. Uh, I have some ones I was going to throw at you, but you kind of already talked about them. But here, here's a good one. Should we have lopsided games at the recreational level? Meaning they occur, but should should they really occur? Like just a thrashing? You're saying the score is lopsided? Yeah. Yeah, I mean we we've we've spoken about this so many times. I mean, it, it's really hard for me to tell a coach to take a player off the field. So if we're playing three against three at U six, it's really hard to say you have to take somebody off the field because you're winning. So I would encourage more to the team that isn't winning to put an extra player on the field. Um, I would encourage the coach um, who is coaching the team that is winning, you know, can you put something like, can you put three passes together for U sixes before you shoot? Can you score with a foot that you haven't scored with today? Little things like that. Um, I have a hard time with, with the, um, Billy, you've scored three times. You can't score anymore. 
And I, I don't know if we've talked. Oh, about uh, yeah, I, I, I totally disagree I, with that. You should I, never tell the kid. I, maybe move hey, him. Uh, yeah, maybe move him from striker to to defender. But if he scores from defender, <laughs> kudos to him because because nobody, nobody, nobody ever told LeBron to stop scoring. Yeah, at any level. Or hey, hey, we've scored a lot. Can you just play at like fifty percent? Like that. That one drives me nuts too. Like he um, only only play like half speed. Yeah, you can only walk. The rest of them can run. I mean, in a perfect in a perfect world, again, you have multiple teams playing. They're all wearing the same jerseys, potentially the same pennies, and it's like, hey, take this kid over to your field. He's he scored three goals over here, and the game's nine to three. Put him over on this other field, you know, or switch teams. Hey, the kid who's scoring all the goals, like switch him to the other team. Like in a perfect perfect setting, that that could happen. Um, you know. I, I've I've seen it, you know, again happen where it's perfect, but there's so much work that goes into it, and so that comes back to your question about professionalism and certification and all those things. So I think, in the limited resources, I think that's really really hard to do. So you and I have both done that. We've yeah we we've had we've run, had our, our, run our leagues with where everybody has the same jerseys, right? So either the same home in the way or the same jersey that's reversible. Or we all have the same pennies, whatever. So we have that option, and we've we've done it. I, I know you have. I know I have. It, why why is it so hard for parents to to like just be okay with that? To be with, hey, he's just going on that team. Is it just the concept that we're really one big team? Like we just do we not emphasize that enough? Yeah, that possibly that possibly yeah that possibly is it. I mean, again, trying to speak as a parent more than a coach right now, just. Thinking, just thinking about it. I, I mean, we don't we don't have any friends, right? Besides our work friends, or besides our family here in Cincinnati, right? So now you give me a team. Now I get three or four sets of parents that I am socially connected to, and it's fun. Right? It's an it's an enjoyable thing. Whether that's from their daycare or their dance class or whatever, like that is an enjoyable thing. And so the change isn't for the kid. It's not what the parents worried about. They're worried about themselves. That's why I said, like, for sure the agenda is about the, their kid or about their family or about themselves. That's that's just me speaking. I, I want – I'm the one who wants to show up and know what field my kid's going to be at. I'm the one who wants to show up and know I'm going to get to talk with Bob, you know, whose kid is on my team. I, I don't know. That's that's one part of it. That's one part of it. It's not the only yeah, thing. I, guess, I think you know, for the reason – the resources, side, the resources side of it, any club can accomplish what, what we're talking about. I guess I've always just had this perspective of I'm putting the player first. I want to do what's best for the kids. And I never really thought about what it was like for the parent to like, because I've never shown up on a Saturday when my kid's playing. I don't know what that's like. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. That's a... Yeah. And, and again, this is now seeing it, you know, at a different level, right? Like we have some great teams at our club on the elite level. Um, and there are the, I think the parents are more heartbroken. The adults are more heartbroken about not going to nationals because nationals was canceled here by USYS and regionals were canceled and we qualified, um, for nationals for back-to-back years. Um, and you know, we're in a group me with the parents because uh, the kids are only 15. So we're not in a group me with them. Um, and it's just the parents and reading the text. I mean, it's like, Hey, you, you might need a hug. You might need an extra call to a parent because they're struggling with the fact that they don't get to go to Kansas city 
And that's, and I get that because they do sacrifice, right? Like the parent does sacrifice, whether that's monetary or that's um, time or that's, you know, whatever, whatever stress on their, their family life, whatever, whatever it might be. I mean, I get it now. I, I didn't get it five years ago, but I get it. I get it now. So it's just a different perspective. And so when all that's built up, I don't think that you can predict how parents or adults are going to react. Um, and I think like you said, if you do this in the education world and it happens, right? Like, Hey, for reading you five kids have to go to this classroom because that's your level for reading. They're like, that makes sense. The parents have no qualms about that, right? That happened all the, I don't know if that happened when you were growing up, but that would happen. Like, you know, if you were struggling in reading or if you were high in reading, like you changed classrooms when it was reading time, when it was fourth grade or math or whatever, right? Yeah, but do you, like, it, yeah, like, I mean, it I guess you Because you're saying you're putting the kid first and that's what the teachers are doing, right? But the parent has no... Yeah, but you still, have, you still have parents who come in and like, oh, my kid should be in fifth grade math. And, sure, you know, sure, should, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, t- again, typically the, the parent at the top or the kid at the top, right? My, my kid's being held back by the rest of the class. 100%, yeah. But the kid who's struggling, the kid who's struggling, there's, there's no way. That parent's like, thank you for taking the, the time to, to help them. But yeah, it's all right. All right, well, all right. One more, one more recreational question. Should, Let's do it. Should we have attendance rules? As far as like, if you show up for practice, then you can play. Yep. No. You miss practice all week. We got a game on Saturday. No, absolutely not. Kid shows up. I, I kid, wholeheartedly agree. I just want to know your reason. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, again, they're a kid. They're not the one who drives themselves. They're not the one who puts it on their phone for a calendar reminder. They're not the one who gets the email. So, you know, I probably have a, a softer spot for kids like that. The kid who loves being at practice, but he can't because his parent can't get him there or just things come up in their family life that they can't show up. And yeah, I mean, I, I make sure that kid at least gets 50% of playing and, and the recreational side, they're, they're probably all getting more than 50%. Right. So should be at least, but yeah. yeah. So I, I, I think, again, our, our goal is to create an environment where the kids are safe, where they have fun, where they're active. And then the bonus of all of that is that they do it when we're not around. They do it when they're at home. They go out to recess. They pick a soccer ball up. They coordinate pickup soccer. They play FIFA online. Whatever, whatever it might be that motivated them, like we want to be that reason. So telling a kid that he has to sit because he didn't show up, that's, that's going to probably crush that kid all right i got two more questions before i'm gonna let you go go for it you plan your session for however many players you have 14 16 18 whatever coach next to you so let's say your team's 13 14 coach is here at the field with you he's nine and ten has to work late your director comes to you and says hey can you combine these two run the session so at an age where they're of different abilities different physical develop development what do you do for them how do you how do you combine that session? Yeah, that's a it's a good question. It's probably happened to me, <laughs> to be honest. Probably probably Tommy Barry probably did that to me a couple of times at Cutters out at uh I can't remember the school. It was that middle school, um Alcott maybe? Is that what it was called? Yeah, yep. Um Tommy Barry is like one of one of our mentors from Cutters Soccer Club. He's amazing talked to him the other day. I learned so much from him. I mean, I saw Tommy once run into the woods. 
where a walking path was or a running path was because a, a, a parent had gone into a seizure. And Tommy came sprinting by the fields and was like, call 911 and run my session. And he like ran, ran into the woods to like help a person out. And I was like, this guy is amazing. Like how, how did he think about telling me to look, for, look out for his kids and run the session while running my own session while he revived some parent or called 911 for some parent having a seizure in the woods, you know, and there were other adults around. So again, that's just a Tommy Berry story for fun, but I know Tommy would be the one who'd be like, Hey, you're running the session. And there's nine and 10 year olds and there's 13 year olds. So, I mean, it would probably become more of a technical um, practice. You know, I'd probably say partner up um, and be the nines with the nines and the 13s with the 13s, if at all possible, if even numbers work and say, Hey, you're going to pass back and forth, one touch, two touch, prep and play opposite foot, you know, work on volleys, work on things like that. And then, try to come up with some game if if everything worked out where we were shooting on goal um, and the nines were shooting on one goal, the 13s were shooting on the other goal. Um, you know, you could do something potentially fun in the beginning if you were really starting a practice just from scratch, you know, like some version of tag, you know, with a ball. You know, everyone's dribbling. If you get tagged, you have to go outside and do, you know, 10 pendulums and come back in or 10 juggles and come back in. Um, you could do – you know, you could do whatever you wanted to do as far as like possession and you could have two different groups of it going on simultaneously. The 13s over here, the nines over here. Um, but I think just matching them up and scrimmaging and just rolling the ball out. I think you, you're putting yourself at risk for a nine year old to get run over by a 13 year old. And depending if it's boys or girls, that, that could be someone's knee going into someone's forehead. So I would just, I would probably watch out for that. You know, I probably, I probably learned that lesson the, the wrong way of like, all right, we're going to finish with the shooting game and you're alternating kids. And all of a sudden a nine-year-old is in the goal taking a shot from a 13-year-old. And you're like, oh, that's a broken arm. So yeah. you don't want that. You don't yeah. have to make that phone call to your director or to a parent. No, no. All right. So I know that you are well-versed in most sports. What sport do you know the least about? Team sport? Any. Could be swimming, gymnastics, volleyball, lacrosse, field hockey, rugby. Yeah, I, I, pro- I, I, could, I, I probably would be pretty uncomfortable if I was uh, coaching volleyball. All right, so here's a scenario. Your daughter's on a volleyball team. I, I don't want to say he's the coach is having a seizure in the woods. That seems, that seems like a pretty, pretty dark hypothetical. <laughs> coach, coach is working late. He's not going to make it to practice. You're the only parent who has any sort of – Coaching background. What are you doing for volleyball practice? Probably pretty similar to what a soccer practice looks like. The kids would probably think it's weird, um, but I would probably do, you know, as many kids with a ball or partner in a ball, um, work on passing, work on setting, um, work on, you know, driving the ball down, spiking it down to the ground, having somebody else pick it up. But, um, you know, I would try to then – organize some version of a pattern I, I don't know how you do it in volleyball with more than if you don't have more than one net like that's the bonus of soccer is you can usually pick out things um but i would try to oh, you set some cones down you have as many goals as you want exactly and so, right? and, so, and soccer someone's legs can be goals so you can just have someone stand with with a ball and they can open up their legs and that could be a goal so so I, I, I probably I probably would do something like a pattern where it goes up, back, and it gets hit over the net. <laughs> and the kids would be like, "Oh, like a little bump set spike!" Yeah, like, kids, come on, Darren! Kids like, would be you know, like, yeah. up, back, through, and I'd be like, you know, and and uh, 
and then but simultaneously the other side of the net would be doing the same thing but it's hard because in that scenario somebody's probably getting hit with the other ball as it comes across the net so i don't know like can you say hey you have to be aware of passing one ball over but also another ball we could be coming back at you so you know again trying to think that through i've never yeah never tried to organize volleyball practice and then obviously i would be like okay now we play the last 20 minutes i'd probably be closer to 40 minutes in an hour i'd be like all right we're gonna play the last 40 minutes but yeah i I think the toughest thing is you know doing another sport like like soccer um is is probably the fear factor of someone getting hurt and again that's the p teacher of me like i want to control the environment as much as possible when i'm out of my comfort zone so that's probably why we we see those things with the with the adults and you know the non-licensed, non-professional coaches, like they probably want to control it as much as they can. So they lose their temper or they raise their voice or they put kids in lines or they give a lecture of the rules because they can kill 10 minutes of time. How much for those coaches? Because a lot of them are are doing it for the first time. You know, their kids will age up and then they'll get more professional or coaches with more experience. Sure. So, I mean, what do we do for these coaches? Because it takes, I mean, it takes years to get good at organizing this session, knowing this isn't working, I need to move on. I need to, I need to quit what I'm doing because it's not working. Like having the confidence to do that. Or just the confidence to, hey, I planned for six kids and there's 30. I planned for 14 kids and there's eight. Those things to an unexperienced coach are just, they can seem very overwhelming. Like you said, after, after working eight to five at, at, at 5.15 when you're supposed to get going and all of a sudden – Coach isn't here. The kids aren't here. You know, Johnny forgot his ball. Yeah. I mean, I think we have to do a better job of taking it out of, out of their hands. Um, I like the model. I think it was at, at Rush, you know, where, like, I would run a session and the parent coaches were there to assist me. Um, I think you kind of took that to the next level when you took over um, from the developmental side at, at Rush um, and kind of did that a little bit differently. But I mean, if the, if you can lead and show by example, I think that is great. And, and so, you know, an example would be, you know, I see Vince Gansberg from Indiana at the time he was a state DOC. I see him run a U10 session for the first time. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And honestly, it wasn't anything that he did with the soccer ball. He knelt down next to the kids and was eye level with them. And he spoke to them with questions. He didn't tell them what to do. He said, well, what do you think about this? What should we do now? How can we accomplish this? How could you score a goal? And I was just blown away. So I think seeing it firsthand or having examples or a modeling, you know, for it, I think that might be the way that we break those walls down. Um, I think basketball does a really good job of this for, for youth basketball. And I think that's why parents feel more comfortable going into, into it. But like, just think about like the dribbling aspect of with, you know, right hand dribble, left hand dribble, crossover, through the legs, whatever, right? You can go under the hoop, all left hand off the backboard, all right hand off the backboard, all mini layers. Like they see that. It's almost like one of those videos, like Fred McGriff used to do the Tom Amansky baseball drill video, you know, where he walks off the plane and he starts, he feels like Tom Amansky. I mean, I just think like if we can do that for soccer, it's a little corny, but we could help parents like I can do that. I can, I can, I can help out. Yeah. It makes a lot, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, what, what sport do you look at and say on the youth side or the recreational side, they, they do it better than soccer. <clears throat> I don't know that anyone is really leading the pack in this. 
Like I really don't. There's just so much out there. There's so much out there from good people. There's so much out there from okay people. There's so much out there from people who are just like, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. I'm going to just throw it on YouTube. And so I think the toughest part is that we have so many resources, but there's really no substitute for being out there and getting that experience under your belt because that's kind of the fun and coaching is going through that experience and doing all those things and like getting like wanting to be better. This is one of the things we didn't talk about in the beginning that like advice from new coaches is that the, I think the most underrated part of the session is when it's over. Like if you're not asking yourself what worked well, what didn't work, how can I change this? Then tomorrow's going to be more of the same. It's going to be more of the same struggles. The kids who aren't paying attention still aren't going to pay attention. And you're, you're never going to grow as a coach. And it doesn't matter if I give you a great session. If you're not, if it doesn't work with your coaching voice, I'm not sure it matters. Even the greatest videos in the world don't, don't make a, a good coach. I agree. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking more from like setting a structure and giving confidence to someone else to do it. And I think, I think uh, if you said to your, to your soccer parents, you know, 10 year olds, that you're coaching. If you said to the soccer parents, come on out and play soccer, I think they'd be petrified. I think if you said to a bunch of 10-year-olds from a basketball team's parents, hey, come on out and play basketball half court, I think everyone would jump in. And I don't think it has to do with the sport and the culture of American sports. I think they're just like, I can do that. I could be wrong. I think the same with baseball. I think baseball, every dad would jump out there. They can't run. They're going to pull something. They're going to swing and whiff. But they're like, but they watch it from the outside. And so baseball is an interesting one. You know that I've, I played baseball. I love baseball before I love soccer. Um, if there was a sport I would coach, it would be baseball if it wasn't soccer. And think about how dangerous baseball is. So like the, the, the reasoning between the argument between basketball and soccer would be, well, basketball is more controlled and soccer is more dangerous. All of a sudden a ball can hit you in the face, head-to-head collision, whatever, right? But baseball is more dangerous when you're teaching youth because kids have bats, kids have a hard ball, potentially a ball that is softer than a hard ball, but it still hurts when it hits you in the eye. I can't tell you the problems I've run into just in one season of baseball that I've never run into with soccer. Kids with bats, kids with balls, kids throwing dirt, kids picking up the bases. Like, you name it. They have cleats. They have cleats. They have metal cleats. Some of these kids have metal cleats because they want to be, you know, Derek Jeter or Mike Trout. Like, so, so, so so let's take base let's take baseball then as an example and they break it down and they control it and I, I i can remember to this day smash the bug is your front foot when you're batting and you twist your foot like there's a bug underneath it to smush it like i can remember that i have i have t-shirts from whitewater baseball camp mcguanago baseball camp I, I i remember the ins and out mechanics maybe that's just me maybe i'm maybe i'm my brain is different but i would like I think baseball is so controlled and it's like, get good at this one thing, get good at this one thing. Then it leads to the next skill. And I think soccer is so different because it's like that kid's really good at that, but he's not good at this. That kid's skill set is all the way over here and they all have to mesh together and work to get one ball all the way down. Like in baseball, I just hit the ball and run. In baseball, I catch it and I throw it and it's the next person's responsibility. But in soccer, it feels like everybody has to have a full set of skills to accomplish one goal. 
It's, it's interesting dynamic. So I, I just look at it from that perspective. Like if I would say parents come out, let's play pickup. I don't think they would play in soccer. I think they'd be scared out of their mind. I think baseball dads, they'd be calling their shot like Babe Ruth, like pointing out to the fence, like giving themselves nicknames, you know, Mayor Ding Dong City. And I mean, I definitely think you're right. I think uh, if you had a list like, hey, we're going to play pickup, what do you guys want to play? I don't see soccer being high on that list. Yeah. I had a friend who was a softball coach. She was a high school softball varsity coach. And uh, I was complaining to her, you know, that I had some parent, crazy parent, you know, clamoring at me. And she goes, you have no idea. She goes, we, we play fast pitch softball. She's like, none of these dads could hit the pitch, but they see softball and they're all telling her how to coach. They're like, none of them could stand up there and hit the pitch of their own kid, but they all want to tell me how to coach because it's baseball, it's softball. We had a girl play in our, in, our, in our softball league this year, this past year. She's in eighth grade. She's better than any high school pitcher that, that we have. Yeah. I saw her pitch one day. I w- there's no yeah. way I'd step in that batter's box. Absolutely not. Yeah. RD, any, hey, anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to? I, I'm, I'm slightly concerned with this, this, pan, this you know, pandemic that we're dealing with. My, my fear, and I'll just, I'll just lay this out there, and then you can tell me I'm a worrier. You can just tell me whatever. But my fear is this is going to be maybe potentially 10 months that we're not going to have sport. Youth, I'm, I'm speaking youth sport. Um, I think it's going to be about 10 months before we have youth sport. And uh, my, my fear is that kids, a lot of kids are going to be like, you know what? That six or eight month or four month or 10 month break was kind of nice. And I don't need soccer or I don't need baseball or I don't need basketball. And I'm fearful that parents are going to be like, yeah, like we don't need to pay $500 for a season or $500 a year for sport. Um, I know that parents will ultimately be like, you have to do something for the kid, right? Like if you're not doing this, then you need to do something. But um, I'm, I'm really worried about the effects that we're going to see from, from this side of it. Um, not from a fear based thing, just from a, Hey, I got used to sitting around and I'm, I'm shocked at the amount, or I should say how little kids are engaged right now with absolutely nothing to do. Kids are not practicing in my opinion. And I have no stats for that. I just, there's like a, there's, 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 yeah, there's, there's an app called the Techni app and all these clubs are buying it and that's awesome. And they're trying to do something for their kids, but the app, the app, the app works where you hit the timer. And then when you're done with your workout, you hit the timer again. And then it tells you where you ranked against other kids in your club, other kids in your age group across the country. It's awesome. I'm not bashing the app at all. The downside is that literally a kid could be sitting on the couch, touch the go button, play a video game for an hour and then touch it again. There's nothing to say. So like, I just, I'm, I'm fearful. Like I, I don't have anything to base this off of. And I know that everyone's really trying hard to push kids to work on their own. Um, and I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I just like, I think, I think we're going to have to do a lot of work when we come back to get kids to love the sport again, if the break is as long as I think it's going to be. I think they'll miss being outside. They'll miss playing baseball. They'll miss playing basketball. I think they'll look at it and say, man, I, I really, I mean, maybe I'm just hopeful. My biggest fear. Yeah. I it would. would. That'd it be would. awesome. That'd be amazing. Like kids come back and they're more like re- regenerated, like, rejuvenated they're like let's go my fear is the financial viability of clubs because you and i have both worked for multiple soccer clubs we know the finances and as much as they charge that money comes in and out it passes through and if you are i mean we have friends who are taking pay cuts because the clubs are they they don't have any money 
they're going to refund all of their spring fees or part of them or ask for you to donate part of them, which we've already seen. So like the long-term sustainability of these clubs to just hit the pause button, like if you want to be an elite club, what do you need? You need to, you need to have your own fields. You need to be able to schedule them, have control over them. But what are you doing right now? Are you maintaining them? Are you paying your staff with no income? No. How long can you do that? Because we're already talking, this is going through the summer. Darren, you and I have both been coaches. Summer is fantastic for us. It's, it's our Christmas bonus in July. Yep. So our coaches aren't yep. going to have as much money. Those clubs aren't going to have the extra income. Like, I'm wondering how many clubs won't survive. And, and see, I, I look at this from just, just use myself as an example. Like, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm good at. This is what, how I make money for my family. This is how I pay my mortgage. This is, right? And I saw people debating about this online. So again, whatever that is, I, I see people saying, well, yeah, you know what's going to happen. Coaches are going to have to take a pay cut when they come back. Like we're all going to have to weather this together. And this is selfishly speaking, but I'd rather not coach then and make money some other way. And that's being somewhat selfish, but everyone thinks, so, you know, it's similar to my viewpoint on players are going to come back rejuvenated. Like people are going to expect coaches to take pay cuts. Like I think we're going to lose good coaches. I mean, there's coaches that do what the parent coach does, right? That they work another job, eight or nine to five, and then they go and coach. And it's like, I don't need that extra $3,000, you know, and they're great coaches. Like I, I have friends, you know, that have great jobs, six figure jobs. And then they coach a U15 girls team. And it's like, why? They're like, because I just love it. I want to give back. And that's why I say that to me feels more like a volunteer. I feel like my, in my experience, those coaches, they'll spend that money on the, on the team. Like I know people who have like, oh, we bought a, an extra kit for the teams. We bought them warmups. We bought balls for the team. It's Yeah, of course. Of course. So, yeah, but like the, the idea that all these good coaches, these C-licensed coaches, I'm just – these – these kind of like middle of the road, if we were going to say like they're invested, but they're not, they're not all the way to the top yet to just say that they're all going to take a pay cut. And now they're going to, instead of $3,000 a team, which again, isn't that much that now they're going to do it for $500 a team. I feel like it's a slap in the face. And now we're going to see, this is again, going into my whole, like what I'm worried about for the sport is you're going to see a, a decline. Cause then if there's less coaches that are doing it for the right reasons, and, and I know I sound like the coach who's, who's doing it for money, but I'm, I'm saying it from like, I value myself to this degree. And if I can't get paid for that, like, I'm not going to go out and do it because my wife is still like, well, you're still putting in the same amount of hours. You know me, you know that I'm going to still coach. If I make less, I'm still going to coach just as hard. I'm going to run just as many sessions. I'm going to do what's right for my kids. I'm still going to drive across town to go run the sessions. Why, why is it you think that we'll have to take pay cuts? What, like what's driving the, the pay cuts? To dig out of the hole to help these clubs dig themselves out of the hole. So like club fees, club fees will be the same. We're still charging families for the season. I, I have heard clubs say that they're going to raise their prices for the next year whenever it kicks off. I've heard clubs say they're going to keep them the same, that there will be no jump because, you know, there's usually an annual jump, $5 or whatever, you know, $15. And then I've heard clubs, you know, um, very few I've heard that said maybe there'll be a, a discount for the next year and not talking about what they're using for their credit from this year or a refund or whatever, but just like a straight, like we'll lower the price for a little bit. And you know, I'm, I'm more pro even for a kid that's new to the game or a kid who's new to the club, like on the recreational level, like 
or the intro academy level, U9, U10, like the beginning stages of, of travel, like give them their first season free. Because that's what we're here for. We're here to be a service. That's why I feel like the coaches who are good should get paid. And even the coaches who are just putting in the time should get paid because that's what the club's duty is to the kids. Just in the back of my mind, <clears throat> and I don't know if you've given this any thought. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I didn't, I, didn't let, I didn't let you talk about it much, but those are just my, my fears. So hopefully I'm not scaring people. Well, so again, my biggest fear is that clubs are going to be shutting down just for the fear of financial viability of it. Like it's not feasible to just hit the pause button. Do you think this changes how many of our competitive coaches will continue to work as contractors? Like, will there be a bigger push for to be W-2 employees? I mean, I just did my taxes, so I'll be paying out of pocket a hefty sum. We knew that, obviously, getting the, you know, the 1099 miscellaneous. Um, so we knew that we knew that in advance. Um, you know, not having health benefits, even if it's partial health benefits and stuff like that, or 401k. I mean, even just just the ability to win somewhere, you can't plan for this. This is totally unprecedented. But to, to have this, to have the stability to say, "Hey, this happens," but I can file for unemployment. Granted, you and the other three hundred million you have, you don't even have that option. Yours is, "Hey, you went from being employed, preparing for a spring season, preparing to go to nationals, to you don't have a season. We're not going to pay you. You have we're leaving you with nothing." And for some, our club may not reopen. Yeah. I think, I think it's a real possibility. Um, my only question would be, does that start to then shift from nonprofit to for profits? And I don't know, I don't know the ins and outs of that. Um, and, and I'm more pro nonprofit, like just from like a, a philosophy standpoint. So it'd be scary, right? Cause we're already talking about it being a moneymaker and that takes the, that takes some of the, the best parts out of youth soccer and youth sport that takes it out of it is when it's just about making money. Um, but at the end of the day, you need to, you know, account for fields and facilities and equipment and coaches pay. So um, I don't know. I, that's a really good question. I, I guess. But it's, I mean, we, we, we both, we've been on both sides, right? We've been 1099. We've been to employees. It's possible. If it's, if you're in an at will employment state, like, does it matter? Like you, besides the unemployment side of it, does it matter? I don't know. Yeah, but right now, I mean, how big of a benefit is that? Like the difference between being able to file unemployment right now and not, it's a big difference. I don't know. There's just so, there's so many things to like, we just don't know, right? Yeah. And you know this, like you said, like the incentives or the bonus structures and all those things that would come at the end of the year. Well, for most youth, youth clubs, it's, um, that's June 30th, which means you're getting that on July 1 you know, your check. Um, so, you know, my, my question, and this is what I've raised, you know, just in general to our club, like, I mean, we have coaches that have been doing work since November, November until March 11th, you know, we're, we're working, you know, like I told you, like our one team qualified for nationals, which wasn't going to be until July. Um, my team went to three tournaments, three out of five tournaments already. So, I mean, I understand that the spring season is canceled, but it's not like I was just collecting a paycheck for the last five months. It's an interesting, it's an interesting point. And then there's, there's some clubs who I feel really bad for who were collecting spring fees, April 1, May 1, June 1. And so parents just aren't paying them. And that, that's for U14 and under as well, which as you, as you know, like some of the bigger clubs are like, no, you pay for everything. So like if you make a team in June, you pay for everything 
July 1, August 1, September 1 for the whole year. And same for, same for the group that only plays in the spring, the high school kids. You pay, you pay those fees up before you've even gotten to that point. So it spreads it out. So it's, it's, a wild, it's a wild time that we're in. And, you know, at the end of the day, I believe that we're going to get things back slowly. We'll get, you know, oh, now restaurants can open. Okay, now, you know, you can play outdoor sports. Okay, now you can play indoor sports. And, again, there's going to be restrictions on how many people are in one area and stuff like that. But we have to get creative. I mean, for, for myself specifically, I mean, if they said you can be outdoors playing sports, but you can't have more than 10 people, why can't I have a practice? Why can't it be me and eight of my kids? And then an hour goes by and the next eight kids come through. And if we have to stage fields between teams so that there's gaps, so we're not all on top of each other and sharing equipment and, you know, zone 1A or field 1A, like that's my field. Like I'm the only one that goes to that group. I don't know. You know, I, I'm, I think we have to be creative. You know, I talked to another friend of ours, like about their indoor place, like tape it off, zone it off, cone it off. Be like, I will rent out this space to you whenever you want to work out here. You know, find creative ways, find creative ways. Like you, you can't just sit there and say, well, I guess we'll just wait and see. I mean, we already know this, but like on the professional side of sports, they're eventually going to come back because of their TV deals. And if it's without fans, it's without fans. If it's with a fan, one in every row, then they're going to let one fan enter every row of the of arena. Like, God, how much of those tickets are going to be on StubHub? <laughs> I mean, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna find a way. They're gonna adapt, and they're gonna get through this. And with youth sports, sometimes, and you and I have had this, like uh, clubs that are running month to month. Maybe they, sh- maybe they should. It sucks for the kids, but maybe, maybe they should learn this lesson. You know, not to invest your money in other areas, to be paying off your your loans because because they all they all overextend themselves. I mean, I heard you know one person say, you know, and again this is hearsay and this is just talking. Oh, that club has twenty some directors. I said twenty twenty, and the city isn't that much bigger than Cincinnati. And I said no club needs that many directors. And if they and if they do have that many directors, what are they doing for these kids? Because now we see all this stuff coming out, all these things. And I asked the question to my you know, boss. I said, maybe this is going to tell us that this is what we should be doing all along. Even when we go back to normal seasons, we should be sending weekly workouts, monthly workouts. Like, why are we all of a sudden just coming up with this now because of this issue? Maybe we should be doing more. Maybe we, like that Techni app. I like, I like that app. I hope, hopefully it didn't come off earlier like I didn't like that app but maybe we should be doing that anyways for our membership. Maybe we should be purchasing that license. So our kids have access to that anyways. Yeah. I, Not just because of the pandemic. I mean, I got a text from my boss the other day. Um, unfortunately it was at like 11 PM. I don't know why he was texting that late, but he was like, you guys have raised the bar. It was just like to our whole team. You guys have done such a good job with trying to put out content. And he's like, I hope you know that. Yeah. Uh, we'll, you know, we still want you to, to keep doing this content and stuff. Once we come back, I'm like, man, we, like, we didn't do it before because we didn't have time. All right, so my job is a little different than, than like the, the nonprofit club world because I'm now in like the, the government sector of it. it. 60 to 70% of my job is paperwork. Like it has nothing to do with sports. It has nothing to do with like digital content. It is just redundant paperwork. Yeah, Kristen, my, my wife, my, you know, she, she's like, what are you doing? You know, and whether that's, you know, daily or weekly or biweekly, 
you know, messages for coaching education, for player training, you know, workouts, fitness, whatever it might be, um, articles. It's hard to find. So what I've been doing for coaching ed, as opposed to going and finding what's new, I'm just giving my coaches everything that I have on my computer. Every session I ever saved, every session I ever saw, if I saw Randy Waldrum at Notre Dame in 2012 run this session, I just have the notes or I put it into a PDF and now I'm sharing that with, I'm giving credit obviously to everyone whose ideas I stole or adapted for my own. Toby Bars, 2007, I saw this session, blah, blah, blah. Like I'm giving credit, you know, and I'm, I'm passing things along, but to actually go out and find what's new right now in real time and present time, like that is so hard. I mean, that's what people do for their thesis or their <laughs> masters or project. I mean, that you need to be full time doing that. And like you said, you get bogged down by all the other things, league registration, player registration, um, training the teams three hours, you know, every night, whatever it might be. I mean, yeah, I'm dreading going back to refund three seasons that just got canceled, figuring out who wants credit. Who wants a refund? Yeah. But here's the, here's the next piece, and this and this and this. I'm trying not to. I hope I don't come across like such a jerk in this. But like, I'll share my ideas with the people that I'm in line with. I'll share my ideas with, you know, Ken Newber at Junior Irish, with Tommy Berry at Cutters, you know, with Mark Spiegel. But like, I'm not going to give this this information to everybody. Like, people have to figure out their own philosophy for their club and what what direction they want to go. And I think we're going to see truly who people are and what these clubs represent, you know, in this time. And that's really harsh, right? Like that's kind of like, we're going to be better than you, but that's kind of like that Colorado rush mentality when we were there. I mean, we had somebody across in, in Pikes Peak or in Colorado Springs, we had somebody across the other side of town that we went against and I don't know them, but I'm also like, we're going to be better than them. And that's kind of like a competitive standpoint. And it's not to make more money even, it's just to say like, we do it better. And I think some, I think more, I think more recently, more recently, everybody's like, we all can have a piece of the pie. Let's just all play nice in the sandbox. Let's all not, you know, do it a little differently because then you're going to make the rest of us look bad. I'm telling you what I see here because coming back to the Midwest, I was, I was shocked at like the youth soccer landscape. Shocked as, as in like not, not impressed or not mediocrity, not mediocrity, but how people are just okay with what's been going on for the last 20 years. And there haven't been as many changes where I felt like when we were in Colorado, I was like, well, this is a little different. And you know, it's a cliche, but the wild, wild west of like, you, you better be good and you better get the next best person. And you better, I mean, I'm not saying because I think I kind of fell into a good situation at rush, but like when we, when we were looking to fill that role and push me up into the seniors role, like we brought you out from Indiana. Like we wanted to get somebody we knew who would be good at it. And around here, it's just recycling the person who's been doing the DOC next door and paying him more. But they're not doing anything different or better, and they don't have any intention of doing it different or better. They just are going to get paid more. That sounds like the U.S. Soccer Federation. 100%. 100%. And they're going to get themselves in hot water. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm looking at this personally, that it is really hard for me to think about going for my USSFA license when they say those things about the women's game. And again, having now a daughter, she's only two and a half. She loves smashing soccer balls at me and down here in the basement. But I coach a U15 girls team that go, uh, you know, that's good enough to go to USYS, you know, nationals. I see how hard these kids work, how much they love the game. 
to knock the women's game down like they do? Like, how can I support that? Even on the men's level, like, how can I support that? And so, again, content with, with what you're doing because that's what you did in the past. And coming back to the Midwest, like, I feel like you can really, really take a step in the right direction if you're willing to, to look at yourself in the mirror and say, we're going to do this differently. We're going to be better. And it doesn't have to be about money. It doesn't have to be like, we're going to make more money because of this. Like, I'm not saying 75 teams – 100 teams, 125 teams, like that makes you automatically better. I just mean the quality of what you put on the field and having a mission and having a philosophy um, and sticking by it. But, the, but you have to, you really have to step outside your comfort zone, right? It's easy to just say, yeah, we've been doing this. It worked. Nobody, nobody rocked the boat. And if you come in there and you do rock the boat and you're like, hey, we can do this better. That's a, that takes a lot from that. So like you in particular, in this case, to say, we're going to try something and if it doesn't work, we're going to fail and it's not going to work and we'll go back to the drawing board. But we, I believe we can do better and we'll figure out what better looks like. Exactly. And, and I think I'm at an advantage because I'm not from Cincinnati, right? Like I'm still considered new to the area. So I think I have that. You know, one of the earliest things I heard when I was uh, becoming a coach from Doug Williamson from the NSCA, he said, you never profit in your own land. Doug's presentation is one of the ones on my, uh, on my list to share with my coaches, you know, his presentation that I think you ended up emailing him from, you know, when you were with NSCA and saying, Hey, this is my friend, Darren, can you share your PowerPoint? You know, I sent the Dick Bate one, the modern game and what the future of the game looks like, you know, Dick Bate sadly passed away. I think, you know, two years ago, a great presenter, you know, at the NSCA United soccer coaches um, convention. I mean, the, these people were, and, and again, Vince Gansberg's and Ian Barker's, and, you know, they're looking at not only what the game was and what we need to be prepared for, but also what the game is and will be and how we can catch everybody up to it. To sit here and to say, like, everybody's jumping into this league. I'm just going to use ECNL. We have to do it because everyone else is doing it. I just don't buy into it. That's a ter- I mean, that's, that's not a good mentality to have for anything. It's I don't just, think oh, that's this the only the one. And then, everybody's doing this. But it's copycats. Like that's what that's what that's what I was telling you about. You know, our friend, you know, who was telling us about this Techni app. I think it's awesome. I like the app. I like the idea. But it's just funny that it's just cycling through every club, and every club is just giving them twenty five hundred dollars or whatever the license fee is, and just saying, "Yep, we did our job." Because they're now that what they're doing is they're all saying we all did the same thing, so we can all now follow the same pattern of not giving refunds, or we can all say we're doing the same thing. We can give partial refunds because we purchased this license for this app for our kids, it still hasn't increased the number of kids that are going to do it that we can prove. And I know we have to do something. I know we have to do something. And I'm, I'm proud that people are thinking outside the box in that aspect, but to just copycat what everyone else is doing. And so that's why I said like some clubs, I think they're going to come out of this on the other end are going to be the ones who say, you know what, we're not raising fees for next year, or, you know what, we're going to decrease the fees you know what, I think, you know, if you're new to the club or you have an extra sibling beyond this point, they're free. Like whatever, it, what, you have to be creative. You have to think something to change, to change our outlook. Because like you said, coaches might be affected by this. Families are going to be affected by this. Kids are going to be affected by this differently. We don't know what's going to come back on the other end. I mean, what, as an example, let's just say you were a high school, a high school sophomore right now. You just missed your sophomore year of club. You're going to be a junior in the fall. You missed your junior season of high school season. Do you really, I mean, 
Like, are you looking at this and like, you know what? Like, maybe I'm just going to study a little bit more and get into a good school and get a 32 ACT. I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. Like, it's possible. It's possible that that kid's like, you know, I, I always feel like we bridge the gap. You know, we always give the kids something what's next to look for, right? Like, if you're burned out by seventh or eighth grade, you're almost at high school. High school's going to be fun. You know, you're going to get to play in varsity or you're going to shoot to make JV or whatever. You know, it's like this new thing, whether you like high school or not, it's, it's a, it's a cultural thing here. So now the kids like they get revamped and then all of a sudden they're 16 and they're kind of burned out again. And you're like, Hey, college, college advisory, college prep. And they get, you know, they get re-energized again. And, and so those cycles are built in for kids for motivation. And that shouldn't be the only reason why they do it, but it's definitely part of it. Yeah, I guess I'm so, so far from the high school aspect of it and, and on the recreational side in those younger ages that I didn't even think about those high school kids who that's your prime recruiting like seasons for, for men's obviously women's for whatever reason recruits way earlier but sure can you can you imagine can you imagine like I, and I know you and I have coached players like this that that they get hurt at 14 or they get hurt at 16 and they just say that's it and the injury is bad but it's not like career ending and we always say like, man, I can't believe they just stopped. It's the same thing because it takes nine months of recovery. And so they find out what that nine months is like without yeah. sport. And so then they choose, they choose not to come back, whether that's a mental like toughness thing or whatever you want to call it. Maybe it's just, you just realize you don't need it. So it's, it's scary to me, but like I said, you know, I'm just working hard and trying to, you know. Wait, so for those high school players, have you talked to like your college friends who like your, your, connections and college coaching like what how are they preparing for that is it just still just a wait and see like don't don't know what's going to happen well yeah that i i believe ncaa just extended the dead period for recruiting which means no on-campus or off-campus recruiting um so that dead period i think is now until may 31st so i mean same thing for them they just lost out on two and a half months of recruitment at showcases and club games and league games if high school season was going on you know state going to state and playoffs high school playoffs in those respective states so yeah it's a really difficult time i think again i feel the same way about the college side is those that come out of it on the end that are are unique and are different so run id camps but instead of running an id camp for five hundred dollars Run an ID camp for $95. Like at this point, it's it's less about your pocket. It's less about your, your budget, which they're going to be cut anyways. So it's like, if you really want to help the kids, like, because my, my kids are going to have to go to more ID camps now because they lost out on those moments. So, I mean, imagine if, imagine if the, if the price tag, let's just do an average of 200 bucks. The kids got to go to 10 of those. You might as well not even play club then. Save the money and just go to ID camps. And I, I don't recommend that. But you don't have any other options right, right now. I, I just think like the, the, the schools, the school, the, like the programs, they, they might look at it as the opposite, right? They may be like, we just missed out on recruiting. We're going to make a, a lot of money on this. And all these ID camps for colleges might go way, way high. And I, that would be really sad because it's only, it's only hurting everyone <laughs> because you'll get less kids that'll do it because of financial reasons. And, you know, and you'll get less kids placed and you'll get less kids seen. Because the college network is so tight that when a kid doesn't work for you, you tell, you call your friend up, you talk to your other colleagues, like, hey, I, this kid came to our ID camp. It's not going to be a fit for us, but so if less kids are going, less kids will get placed. And I wouldn't be shocked if people just went the international route and video, 
stuff like that and just said, I'll take a flyer on this kid from this country. It's, it's, it's worrying. I'd, I'd love, I'd love to see, I'd love to see the, the blueprint, you know, from clubs, like what, what is the trend for clubs per state? You know, coming, coming back to what we were talking about earlier, like what are clubs doing? It's going to have to follow whatever their governor says, right? So as they slowly implemented these restrictions, they're slowly going to take them away. So what's going to be crazy is that your season could start before New York and start way after California. Yeah. But um, so like this was kind of what I was talking about, like when, when restrictions start coming back, like, so when we start going back the other way and let's just say, they say you can, you can have 10 people and you can play an outdoor sport, a contact sport, but it can't be more than 10 people. Like, why can't I train my teams? Like last year we counted between myself um, and my boss, we counted 169 contact days with our girls club team. I'm guessing only 40 of those were games. Wow, really? Yeah. So, I mean, that just shows like how much work we put in into it. And, and so why can't we just get back to training and having fun? When they say, Hey, La league isn't going to start until this date. Why can't we have scrimmages? If, if it's allowed the, the amount of people and contact sports and outdoors, like if they're like, you can't have fans there. Fine. Mom and dad, drop me off. We'll play. Come pick me up in an hour and a half, whatever it might be like, sit in the car and honk the horn when we score a goal. Like we, we have to be creative, like to just say, well, sorry, they banned this. The league, the league part and the, and the tournaments part, that's, that's tough. You can't control that. And I'm not saying, I, I don't think anybody should come back until it's safe. But I also think when the restrictions start coming back and they'll come back slowly, we have to, we have to look at how can we help and still take precaution while you're doing it. Because that's my other fear is that they're going to say, everything's clear. We all come back and then we have to go through this again because that'll kill clubs. If they collect money again and have to give it back, that'll I'm kill worried clubs. this is already going to kill clubs. No, I know. But it's just like everything else, right? Like in business, like the big ones will probably survive before the little ones, depending on how deep they are in debt or if they get bailed out. The big ones will, you know, if you have more money, you, you can- Do you see, do you you see a scenario down, where but, this does put recreational sports back to the cities because the- yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, that's and that's what I'm saying. Like that's what I'm saying. The clubs that come out of this and are thinking like, you know what? Let's offer more on the rec side. Let's let's give kids an outlet to play. Like you, I love your idea. Like you're optimistic of like kids are gonna miss it. There might have been the kid who quit who's like, man, like it's kind of like a reset button. Everyone got a break. Or the kid who's thinking about quitting right before the season started. He's like, awesome, man. Like I can't wait to get back. Um, so. So if, if that's the case, like, let's do things to help more kids play. Let's not give restrictions to their parents, like costs. And the only ones that could really do that are going to be the municipalities, right? Your clubs are going to be the ones who aren't whatever sort of financial deficit they are. They can't be like, hey, let's offer rec at even cheaper. Yeah. So maybe it's a good thing for rec sports. Yeah, honestly, it might be. It might be a revamp. But I really appreciate this time, man. I hope I hope it was good. Dude, on it's always good to talk to you. What are you talking? Come on. Obviously, some some of it is you know just personal opinion, and some of it is you know 15 years of of watching the same thing or seeing something different. I mean, there's some great people out there. I mean, I love catching up. This time has been good for me because it's kind of it's kind of got me thinking about what I'm thankful for the experiences I had. I was telling a, a parent, this was a couple of months ago in February when we had uh, a tournament in Fort Wayne and 
they were like, so where were you before this? And I was like, here and here and here in Colorado and Indiana and Wisconsin. And they're like, wow, they're like, that is so cool. And I really hadn't thought of it that way. I was like, well, I really wasn't an adult. I was just hopping around, you know, job searching and trying to find my way. But he was like, man, he's like, some of us, we just go to college and we go into our first job and that's where we're at now. He's like, and we don't, we don't leave Cincinnati or we don't leave Dayton or we don't leave Indianapolis. Popping around a little bit from state to state, different clubs, different colleges. It's just given me, you know, more appreciation for the game, for how fun it can be and, you know, how many good people are out there. I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, a lot of the same people, but it's like, Man, when I when I need inspiration, I call Mark Spiegel. I call Nick Hargett. I call Tommy Berry. I call Matt Callahan in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. You know, I, I call those people because they're doing it right. So, well, I've got a little two-year-old that's bouncing around upstairs I got to go tangle with, so. A big thank you to Darren for taking the time to talk with us today. This episode was produced by Baron B Productions. Our theme music is Sunlight by Dano Songs. You can subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you subscribe. Thanks again for joining us for Youth Sports Today. I'm your host, Matt Slomazic.